0: Now, our vet is here, Pete Weatherburn. Are you happy in that seat or do you want to go well, elsewhere? To you moves. want to go over to that seat, okay. Like that one you know you keep like, this one warm, yeah. so it's much more comfortable very good I so like to keep that particular feature of you Pete <laughs> uh, nice and warm and comfy <laughs> as it were as <laughs> <laughs> so you sit on it right <laughs> Pete Weatherburn our vet is here from Brave Vet and um, Pete I heard this story about a cat right mm-hmm. a very active cat yes. who used to be climbing up on counters we'd say in a in kitchen mm-hmm. climb up on top of presses in the kitchen mm-hmm. and you know it would leap up no problem to get out of the cat flap and all that sort of stuff and then one day the owner sort of came home and the cat was sort of dragging its uh, hinterland <laughs> behind basically right. all the, the back paws and that sort of stuff. Yes. So they took the, the cat off to the vet and what was diagnosed was that something had broken away somewhere in the body mm. and sort of gone down an artery and the one it picked anyway was the one to circulation to the back and the legs were basically cut
1: off. Yep. Um, How old is the cat?
0: uh, I'm not sure. Maybe four or five, something like that. No, seven. Seven, actually.
1: Seven. Because basically, this is one of those kind of odd diseases, but it's quite common in cats, and it's called arterial thromboembolism. And how it works, basically, is that cat will have had an underlying heart disease that the owner didn't know about because there'd be no signs of it. But simply, the the cat's heart wasn't beating properly anymore. It wasn't... um, contracting and expanding as a heart should do. And what that meant was that the blood wasn't being pumped around the body as rapidly as it should be. As a consequence of that, and because the blood was kind of pooling in the heart a little bit, it would have formed a clot in part of the heart and that clot would have been sitting there in the heart not causing any big issue at all just like a big just like a lump in the in the heart like a like a chunk of cheese or something sitting in the heart not causing any issue at all however what would have then happened is a little bit of that would have broken off the, the big clot in the heart and would have traveled through the circulation now If it lands in lots of bits of circulation, it doesn't cause a particular issue. It might just cause a minor problem, but the problem is that about 90% of them land at at a particular point um, in the aorta, in the main blood supply to the back legs. And if that big aorta, that big blood vessel is blocked off, which is what happens in most cases, then most of the blood supply to the back legs is stopped just like that. And as a consequence of that, The cat becomes paralysed, they lose the nerve function in the back legs and it's very painful as well. And unfortunately, most cats with that problem don't do very well because they've got, number one, the problem with the clot, but number two, they've got the underlying problem with the heart disease as well. So they're, they're really very sick cats.
0: Right. Don't do very well. Does that mean there would be an outcome of euthanasia?
1: In un- unfortunately, in many cases, that's that's what happens. Well, is there any treatment? Yes, there certainly is. There's a number of ways it can be treated, and and the thing is that I, I don't mean to be too negative because there are some some cats that do ver- that do very well long term after that. Um, basically, what, what what treatment involves is things, for example, like drugs like anticoagulant drugs to, to to stop the try to stop the blood from clotting to try to get clot away, um, and the other thing is. You have to use, uh, in in the immediate short term, you have to use things like um, drugs to help the heart cope with the stress. So, drugs like vasodilators and diuretics. And some cats need to be given oxygen as well because they become quite sick with their their heart, heart not working properly. Um, aspirin is also used in the same way as it's an anticoagulant in, in um, humans you know a lot of people are on long-term low-dose aspirin for their heart was um, for, for um, stroke and an anti-stroke measure well it's also used in cats long-term low-dose an, um, aspirin um, and there are there are other drugs as well and you, you can get into into more exciting treatments too um, with things like surgical removal of the clot but really that's something which is As you can imagine, sort of cutting into a major blood vessel and removing a blood clot and trying to sort. Gosh, what's the
0: prognosis in that?
1: Well, it's 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 not great. um, The prognosis with this particular problem is always what's known as what's called guarded. Now, guarded is an interesting phrase that we use. It's not the same as good. But it's not the same as bad either. Guarded means, well, you know, we hope things will work out here, but we just can't be sure about it. You know, it's, it's one of those ones which is slightly vague. But um, a one study that was done of 100 cats, 34 of them survived. And, um, but the, the problem was that other ones that survived, the average life expectancy was only, only one year. So, you know, it's, it, because they, they don't have just to get over the problem with the paralyzed back legs... But they also have got the underlying heart disease and it's a heart muscle disease. So it's like the heart muscle has stopped working and there's, there's no way that can be fixed properly without giving the cat a new heart. And we're not doing that yet. Right. So, so they've got the underlying heart disease, which then goes on to cause other problems often. And, and that's really the difficult thing. So unfortunately, a, a typical thing would be that, you know, in, in, in the sometimes people make a decision on the day itself to euthanize a cat. Other times they'll struggle on with treatment and, you know, maybe... A week or two weeks later, they'll they'll realize things are getting difficult, and have to carry out euthanasia. And in other cases, cats do surprisingly well, and and people learn to cope with the disability. And the the, the cats, you know, they they often don't regain full use of their back legs, and um, it becomes a. It's only way you can dissolve this this blockage. But that's what you try to do with these anticoagulant drugs. You you try to. But that affects all the rest of the blood, right? Yeah,
0: but 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 can you target something
1: specifically? Well, there's, there's as far as I know, there's no way that you can specifically. You know, um, inject. You'd have to inject it, really, wouldn't you? So it's very, it's very hard to. Um, but there are, I mean, there are drugs that are used. There's things like tissue plasminogen activators and streptokinase. So there are all these drugs they are used in humans often. These drugs, and one of the problems with them is they're very expensive. Like one, one of those drugs that I mentioned, one little vial of it costs about a thousand euros. Do you know? So you've got a cat that's got a profound heart disease that's essentially unfixable. Are you going to spend thousands upon thousands of euros to give it a few more weeks or months of life? That's the kind of difficult question that that people have to decide. Um, And, you know, on on one study, using the expensive drugs, well, about nearly 50% of the cats did reasonably well. So that's better than the the lower percentages that I said to you earlier on of, of, um, you you know, um, more like... um, I think it's the unpredictable nature of it that's difficult, isn't it? You can talk about percentages, and I, you know, and okay, so thirty-five percent survive just with general treatment; fifty tr- percent survive with the expensive drugs. This is common but enough in cats, anyway. Is it? We see it quite a lot, unfortunately, yeah. and we hate to see it because owners often come in not thinking there's too much wrong, and um, as soon as we see these cases, we realise, you know, this is really complicated, and you know, there's a high chance things mightn't work out here. So it's a very difficult thing to to deal with. Mm.
0: Okay, Peter's going to stay uh, for another few minutes. Is that okay, Pete? Yeah, great. Um, just in case you've any questions to ask him. And uh, sorry to hear that about mm, the cat. Then that uh, y- you know you're not painting a pleasant picture, and if you are, it's a really costly. It, Pleasant, it, with yeah. no guarantee at the end of it.
1: Yes. They may want to go to a specialist vet to get the best advice on this, uh, you know, because it's, it's something which we vets in general practice, we can do so much, but there are vets out there, you know, who specialize in cardiology and they can do even more than, than, than the average okay. vet. Okay. So. All right. The morning show on East Coast FM
0: with Declamia. East Coast FM pete weatherburn our vet um a question in for your Pete, and it is a new puppy crying at night
1: puppies often cry at night because they, they like usually they've been with their, their their mother and their siblings and they're they're you know all cozy beside each other as they sleep and it's all very comfortable then what happens they're taken away they're put into some sort of Big area, like a bed or some, uh, you know, dog bed, and they're left by themselves completely in this alien environment. There's no wonder that they cry a bit. They're looking for a bit of comfort. So the normal thing to do would be when, when you when you get a new puppy would be to do something like give it a hot water bottle put a radio on beside it, even get one of these pheromone diffusers to put beside its bed so it gets this sort of sense of reassurance from, from smelling that in the air. And those are the kind of things that you can do. And most puppies will cry for maybe the first night, maybe the second night, and then they're absolutely fine after. It's very, you know, dogs dogs grow up and don't do that, so it's nothing to worry about at all.
0: Right, okay. You're just trying to make it pleasant. If you get a puppy from another
1: family or something like that, it's usually what, after six weeks or something like that, you get it? Well, um, normally you can get puppies as young as six weeks of age. That's a bit young, really. Normally they'd be be between eight and ten weeks of age.
0: And do you take sort of um, smells or an old uh, t shirt or something like that?
1: That can be, that's another thing as well. The pheromones are useful, but so is it. I mean, you could put one of your own, when you've your own um, sort of piece of clothing there beside them so they get the sense of another living creature I suppose Um, but really it's not something I'd get too worried about because most puppies after like I say um, after the initial little bit of anxiety they settle down and they just learn it's a bit like us children children, humans when we leave home at first you know and children they first sleep over they're a bit anxious and it's the same idea as that it's just that learning to be independent It's part of the process
0: so this is pretty natural anyway that they Very will natural. cry
1: some people give in completely and have their little puppy up sleeping in their own bed and sure you can do that if you want to go along that road but you know it's, uh, it can cause complications down the road as well
0: right one last one mm-hmm. and it is uh, is it possible to train Siberian huskies um, to come when called of Thanks, from is. a frustrated owner. Yeah. Um, tell me about Siberian huskies. Well, Are they okay of... for Ireland?
1: Sure, yeah, they're great for Ireland. You see quite a few of them around. They're, they're, you know, they're kind of wolf-like dog, big shaggy coats and um, really intelligent animals. Obviously, they're used to pull sledges in the Arctic, but... Um like any dog, they're trainable they're 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 very lively, they can be quite stubborn, but they're trainable and it's just a case of repetition right because reward.
0: um the caller can't come on, but he's just told Claire yeah. uh, that uh, the minute he lets them off the lead, they won't come back. they just run the,
1: the, <laughs> the thing is the thing is the thing is that it's fun running it's great fun, you're a dog, I want to run it's great. so what you have to do is you have to make it more fun for the dog to come back so somehow you have to. I mean, it is a basic command of training a dog to come when called. And the, every dog, you can do it with every dog. It's more difficult with some. It's more di- You can never train two dogs at once. That's useless because there's a big distraction there all, all the time in terms of the other dog. So you have to train dog one at a time and you have to repeat it, and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it to the sake of being sick of repeating it. But you should be training that dog 15 minutes every day, concentrating on training it to come when called. And if you do that in the proper way, it will learn. There's no magic trick, it's just patience and endurance and um, good luck with that. Alright, thanks Pete. Two last things
0: in housekeeping matters from Pete the Vet uh, here, PeteTheVet.com. Uh, Pete Weatherburn, Taoiseach Enda Kenny has firmly ruled out any reversal of the ban on stag hunting. I'm
1: delighted to hear that.
0: Leaving one of his ministers
1: embarrassingly isolated. I'd be mad to bring back in stag hunting after all that controversy, it would just be stupid. So I'm Junior Minister
0: Shane McEntee indicated that the stag hunting ban would be lifted shortly but mm. Ender has said no so finna are sort of out shane mckenty hunting at the moment and he's captured <laughs> <laughs> so good man, man
1: Ender. i'm delighted congratulations right, so, so they've
0: done a good thing somewhere anyway. as far as
1: i'm concerned i think that's great okay and one other thing the other thing that's it's exciting in my world is that the welfare greyhounds bill was passed by a yesterday uh that's now gone through and it's with, with luck, it will be the very first piece of legislation to be signed off on by the new president next week. And that means once, because that's been that's been passed now, that means now in the next months, or next weeks to months, the, the Minister of Environment will sign in both bills, both the Welfare of Greyhounds bill, but also the Dog Breeding Establishments bill, which is the anti-poppy farm legislation. So those, by the time New Year comes around, those should both be in place, and at last local authorities will be able to do something about these puppy farms that we've been banging on about for so long. So this has seen much awaited, and I'm delighted that it's finally happened.
0: Right, and uh, Michael D might invite you to the park to see it inside.
1: I don't think these are public things, but um, (laughs) that would be nice. All right. (laughs) Thanks very much indeed. That's uh, Pete Weatherburn,
0: our vet, from Bray Vet, Old Connor in Bray.